Hey, um, welcome back, me. <laughs> hey, I missed you guys. I, I hope you missed me. Um, I'll, I'll keep it short. No, wait, 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 wait. Nothing for welcome back. I have a feeling it's fixing to sound like I hit a home run in the bottom of the night to win the game. Well, we're starting a brand new series this morning called The Power of If. Two really simple letters that make up an incredibly short word. But in the Bible, there are 1,784 ifs. The majority of those are conditional clauses, basically saying, if we do something, or if God does something, then blessing will follow, then curse will follow, if then. And here in Romans 8, where we're going to spend the next four weeks, there are ten different ifs. And in my mind, probably one of the most powerful ones happens a little bit later in the chapter in verse 31. As Paul says, if God is for us, then who can be against us? And that is such a powerful if, because there is so much possibility within that word if. If God is for us, imagine what is possible in your life. Imagine what is possible in our world. Imagine what power we have as the people of God. And so the entire premise of this series is simply this idea, God is for you. God is for you. He loves you. And now my guess is there are some of you that probably see that and struggle with that statement. Maybe because of your past. Maybe because of the things that you've experienced. But you hear that phrase, God is for you, and you start to think, well, maybe, maybe most of the people in here, but not me. I, I really struggle with hearing someone say, God is for me, because you have no idea what I have been through. You have no idea what my life has been like. You have no idea the people and the pain that I've gone through, the, the, the past that continually haunts me. You have no idea. And when I hear that phrase, God is for me, I have some serious doubts. And I think there's two traps that, that tend to trip us up, that te tend to catch us when we really struggle with this phrase, God is for you. The first one is a performance trap. We, we have this idea that, that God's grace and God's love for us, the way God feels about us, is based on our performance. That if we're good enough, that if we do the right things and say the right things, if we go to church enough, if we're good enough, if we're, sometimes if we're better than all those other people. And we base God's love for us off of our performance. And the second trap is a projection trap, 
where we project how we would respond if we were in God's place upon God. Because every one of us has been hurt, we have been burned, we have been beaten, we have been bruised, we have people that have turned their back on us, we have turned our back on other. We know what it's like to live in this world and deal with people. And if we were in God's place, and, and we saw how we at times treated God and how we wandered away, then there is no possible way we could continue to love and forgive the way God does. But as you walk away with this series, what I want you to be so certain of is this truth. God is for you. God passionately loves you. He has been pursuing you from the very beginning. And you are His great treasure. His beautiful creation. But before we can get to the possibilities of what if, we need to spend some time dealing with the regrets of if only. Anyone ever have one of those if only moments? Because there are those if only moments if we had done something. There are also those if only moments if we hadn't done something. If we hadn't bought that car and signed our name to that huge monthly payment, then things might be different. If we hadn't given in to the temptation and walked into the affair, then things would be different. If only we hadn't told the lie and gotten caught. If only we hadn't quit our job. Because there are those regrets of the things that we did. But there are also regrets of things we have not done, right? If I only had spent more time with my kids, would the relationship today be better? If only I had more faith and trust in God, then things in my life would look different. If only. And if only is such a powerful phrase. Because if only is this idea that we regret where we have been. And here's my assumption. Every single person in this room, every single person online has if only moments that fill and flood our life. There's a really great movie. I, I don't know if it was great um, by today's standards especially, but 1990, I think it came out. It was called Mr. Destiny. Anyone ever see it? It, it was a, James Belushi was the star. And the entire storyline is based on this high school kid who's going up to bat in the ninth inning of a state championship game, and he has the opportunity to win the game. And instead of getting a base hit or hitting a home run, he strikes out. And the movie starts there with this moment where he fails miserably. And it picks up on his 35th birthday, 
where he is still living in regret, thinking that his life would be entirely different had he hit the ball in that crucial moment. That his menial job and that his house in suburban America, all of that would be so much better had he come through when it mattered most. And so on his 35th birthday, as he's driving home, his car dies, and it dies right next to this bar. And he walks in, and the bartender gives him this special tonic drink thing, not, I don't know what it was, this but anyway, it takes him back to the state championship game. And instead of striking out, he hits a home run. And from that point on, his life transforms and changes to the point that he is now the owner and the CEO of a major sporting company. He has millions of dollars. He has a mansion. And, and all of his life has changed. And for some reason, I think most of us have this mentality at certain points in our life that if things had been different back then, if only things had been different in that moment, then we would be in a better place now. If we had waited to have sex until we were married and we had not had a child when we were young and weren't ready for it, then things would be different at this point in our life. If I had never clicked on that website, maybe the, the addiction wouldn't be there today. If only. If only we could go back and change things. Because our perception is, if we could go back and change things, then everything from that would be different. But the problem is, that's not the case. The moment that seems so incredibly big to you, life-changing and life-altering, isn't as big as you imagined. It didn't have the power to transform everything else from that point forward in the way that you thought it could. Your mindset might have done that. But the actual event didn't do what you thought it would. And maybe one of the biggest regrets that everyone in here has is those sins of our past. Those, those things we struggle with. And it's so easy to sit in a room like this and look across and it looks like everyone else's life is perfect. Like everyone else has it all together. Like they don't struggle. And it's just me. It's me by myself. But I want you to remind you of these words earlier in this book of Romans. Because Paul says this, For all have sinned, all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. Now here's the thing. I don't know about you, but I have a tendency to forget that. Because if there's one of the traps that I really fall into, it's probably the performance trap. It's thinking that my life is not as bad off as theirs. And if I was like them, then I 
would be certain I needed God's grace. But, but here's the truth. All of us, every single person in this room, whether you know it or not, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so many times in our world, that word sin scares us. The, the word sin in the Hebrew is kata, in the Greek it's hamartia. And it just simply means this, to fail or miss the goal. You think, okay, well, what, what was the goal? The goal goes all the way back to the very beginning before there was a law. In Genesis, as God creates man and woman, puts them in the garden, and he says, you are to bear the image of God. That was the goal from the very beginning, that you and I, as the people of God, would represent God to this world. Before there was a law, there was that hope, that goal in our life. That the world would see our life and they would know what God was like. Because we live and we bear the image of Him. And so often, we all fail to miss the goal. We, we miss that mark so bad. And you could say, well, the problem, what's the big deal with sin? The big deal is it breaks down our relationship with God and it breaks down our relationship with other people. It causes us to live in a broken and fractured world. It creates this problem where the relationship that we have with God has been fractured. It creates this problem where the relationship that we have with one another has been fractured. And it doesn't take a whole lot of time on the news to realize that that's true. It doesn't take a whole lot of time in relationship with other people to realize that that's true. Sin breaks down relationship with God, and it breaks down relationship with other people. And I think that's why guilt comes so easily for us. Because so many times our actions and the way, the, the way we've treated people, the things that we've done, break down that relationship and we feel guilty about it. And, and listen, some guilt is really bad. But not all guilt. There is good guilt. Right? Because guilt serves as this warning sign. And it convicts us. It says that there's something in our life that is not right, that is not the way that it should be. And we need to do something to fix it, to make things right. But then there's guilt that lingers. Guilt that sticks around. Guilt that is from the past. Guilt maybe that you've been dealing with not just years, but decades, of letting go of what it is that you have struggled with. Letting go of your past and the freedom to live now. I heard a story recently of a lady named Julie Price. Um, Julie was the first person really in the world who is diagnosed with, and I'm probably going to mess this up, highly superior autobiographical memory. 
meaning that she can relive and retell every single moment of her entire life from the age of 14 on. After Julie was discovered by doctors, they found about 10 other people in the world that have this. And I don't know if I should call it a disease or a blessing or a curse. But you tell her a day, and she says, it's like this timeline appears before me. And if you give me a date, I can tell you what day of the week it was. I can tell you what the weather was like. I can tell you what I was wearing. I can tell you what major historical events happened on that day. And as I was hearing her tell her story, I thought, man, this would have been great when I was in high school and having to take tests. And and you think, well, surely that would be a blessing because you get to relive all of those great moments from your life just like they were happening again. I started thinking, well, but the problem is you get to relive all those bad moments as well. You remember just where you were. And, And something occurred to me. We already do that. You don't need to have superior, highly superior autobiographical memory to relive those bad moments. My guess is that you already do. You remember the choice you made. You remember how you felt. You remember what the situation was like. And we replay it in our mind over and over and over again. Because if things had been different back then, then everything would change. I got a text from someone in our church this um, past week, and they just said, I'm, I'm really struggling with getting over my past. I'm really struggling with it. It's like it's tied to them. My guess is the same happens to you. There are those moments that we would love to relive, we would love to do again. And the problem is we don't get to. We don't get that chance to erase the past. But I want to share just real briefly what I sent him. And what I want to share with you. In Romans 8, it starts this way, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Going on. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free. That was the purpose of the law in the beginning, was to give life. And now God's Spirit is the one that gives life and has set you free from the law of sin and death. Verse 3, For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so He condemns sin in the flesh. Verse 4, In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Go back to verse 1 real quickly for me. 
He says there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Condemnation is the idea of feeling or being guilty for confessed sin. Conviction is the idea of feeling guilty, being guilty for unconfessed sin. What he says is, is in your life, if you are in Christ Jesus, there is forgiveness and there is nothing that condemns you. You stand free because you're no longer under that law. You're in the righteousness of Christ. And it's not what you have done. It's what He has done. It's not you turning your life around if that moment had not happened or even if it did happen and then everything transformed after that. I've worked and I've worked to get back to a good place. It has nothing to do with that. You are set free because of what Christ has done on the cross and there is no condemnation over you. God does not sit there and hold it over your head saying, hey, I really hope you would remember that. I think that is the voice of Satan. Reminding you, hey, you don't belong. God could never forgive you. You aren't a part. See, there's this really powerful phrase. There is no condemnation for those of you who are in Christ Jesus. There, there is no one who holds it over you if you're in Christ. And what we, we believe as followers of Jesus is that we enter into that relationship through baptism. That we enter in, that we're cleansed, not just of what we have done, but that we have continual forgiveness through Jesus and what He has done on the cross for us. Because the purpose of the law was to, to give life. It was to help these people be transformed into the image bearers they were created to be. Because you were supposed to represent God and to be His image in this world. And we continually fail and miss that goal. We continually fall short of that. And so the law, our hope was it would show how righteous we were. But all the law actually did was magnify our sinfulness. It magnified our ability to not live up to the image bearers we were created to be. And the guilt that you feel is not God saying, man, i got to tell you, you messed up. If only you could go back and change, our relationship would be different. The guilt that you feel is the voice of the Satan saying you don't belong. There is no place for you here. You don't have a seat at the table. But God, through His Spirit, comes into this world to radically transform everything in your life. 
not just simply to change your past. See, that's only half of the gospel, that God has forgiven you from sin and that he will continue to forgive. That's only half of it. Because the very next thing that he does is he starts to say, but what I have done is I have sent my spirit, and my spirit is going to guide you, and my spirit is going to lead you, and my spirit is going to convict you, and my spirit is going to bring that relationship that has been fractured and broken back into wholeness. It's going to make things right. It's going to make things as they should be from the beginning. And that is our hope in Christ Jesus. God's Spirit is you at work in you. Now I want to jump down to the, to the very end here. Romans 8, verse 9. He says this, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but you are in the realm of the Spirit. And this is where the ifs start, really, in Romans 8. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And then this is so, so powerful. He says, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. That I'm going to give my spirit to those who belong in Christ. And it's the spirit of Christ that encourages you and pushes you forward towards righteousness. Towards bearing the image that he created you to bear. And it is the spirit of Satan that says, no, you're not good enough. You'll never measure up. Your performance is not what it should be. Or the projection. If God was in your place, or if you were in God's place, there's no way He could still love you. Listen to me, please. That is a voice from the pits of hell. And it is not the voice of the Spirit of Christ. Because the Spirit of Christ says for those who belong to me, those who are in me, are cleansed and are purified and are set free. And I do not hold your past against you. And if you're struggling with letting go of that past, let me just tell you this morning that you don't have to hold on to it. Christ has forgiven it and He has set you free from it. Live like it. Because as we said, all of us have sinned. All of us have sinned. But, but listen to this next part here in Romans 3 and are justified freely by His grace 
through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. That it's not about you, and it's not about what you have done, and it's not about your performance, and it's not about what you would do if you're in God's place. It's about what Jesus did on the cross for you 2,000 years ago, what He did for me when He sacrificed and gave up His life. When sin did its absolute worst that it could possibly do to someone, and it said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. I'm choosing to love them regardless. And that grace is infinite and full and free. See, now, now I did say at the beginning there, there's some grace or some guilt that's good. Right? Where, where the Spirit of God is convicting us of what's not right in our life. Of the sin, the addictions that we're currently caught in. And that convicting voice of God is so powerful. But it has a purpose. The, the purpose is that we would hear that voice and that we would be convicted of what is not right in our life, that we would confess that and then we would turn away from that. Right? We would begin bearing the image that God created us to bear once again. That, that, that our life would change and be different. And if that happened, that the leading voice of God, the comforting voice of God would be heard in our life. And I think the problem we, we, we struggle with so many times is, is we struggle at times to listen to the convicting voice of God. And so we struggle to hear the comforting voice of God. We, we struggle to hear the leading voice of God. But what we're told time and time again throughout the Scriptures is if we will confess our sins, that He is faithful and He is just and He will forgive us of all our sins. He will cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. And He will heal that relationship that's been broken down. That's been broken down between God and us, but also between other people and us. That He'll make things in our life whole once again. One little caveat. I think one of the things that we struggle with in really feeling that guilt and feeling that condemnation is because we're dealing with consequences. There is a difference between consequences and condemnation. Because there may be some things in your past that bring consequences. Right? And you have to live with that. There's no way around it. You have to live with the memory. You have to live with restrictions. But what you do need to know is Christ does not condemn you. He does not hold it over you. So we, we begin this series. What are the if-onlys in your life that you struggle to let go of?
What are the if-onlys in your past do you believe would have led your life in a different direction? What are the if-onlys that are still wrapped around your heart? They're still consuming your mind. And today, I just want to give you the freedom to call that voice what it is. And to step into the life that Jesus offers you through His Spirit. Set free. Because that if only is going to be transformed. It's going to be transformed from if only to what if. What if the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, what if it really does live in you? Father, we thank You. And we're grateful, Father, that You do not condemn us. That You do not hold it over our head. And Father, I pray for those this morning who continually hear the voice of the Satan, the Spirit that that continually tries to bring death and decay into our life, that condemns us, that holds it over our head, that, Father, we would be able to step back from that and say, Father, that You do not condemn us, that we have been set free through the blood of Christ Jesus who gives us life. Father, we celebrate and we are so thankful. And Father, we pray for freedom in the name of Jesus. Father, that you would set the captives free once again. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have our shepherds in the back of the auditorium, their spouses. If we could pray with you, walk with you, you've never given your life to Christ, you're not in Christ, we would love to talk with you about that, to share with you, to see you baptized into Christ. But whatever we could do, um, go while we stand and sing.